Hello and welcome to Equine Voices Podcast. My name is Ronnie, an intuitive equine communicator. I hope you enjoy this episode and thank you for listening. Hi everybody, welcome to Equine Voices. My name is Ronnie. Today we have a lovely lady called Michelle Scully. Now, Michelle is a lady that I do not know too much about, although I have had a little peek at her website. But she was introduced by another lovely lady, a guest, Chrissy McDonald's. So I'm really, really pleased that she connected us both. I'll bring Michelle in and she can explain who she is and why she's on this podcast today. She did have an accident 12 years ago, but I'm going to let her explain a bit more about that. And that set her on her journey of self-discovery and understanding of how to move forward. But that says very little about the experience. So what I'm going to do is bring Michelle in. She can introduce herself and then we'll go from there. Hi, Michelle. Welcome. Hi, Ronnie. Thank you so much for having me. I was going to say good morning, but I'm in California. You're in the UK. Good evening. So I'll just say happy Wednesday. Happy 1st of February. How the heck did that happen? I know. I know. I was sat just before I came home, sat with my horses. And it was quite cold and blowing. And I thought, we're in February already, and I'm definitely looking forward to spring. So would you like to introduce yourself, Michelle, and let everybody know who you are, what it is you do, and just a little bit about your background? Yeah, oh, sure. I live in a small town in Northern California. Our family, we're in farming. We have a multi-generational farming business. So we have very busy summers around here. And my husband and I live on some property and I have way too many horses. Some people will think, no, you don't. And some people will think, yes, you do. I have five, three retirees and one who would very much like to be retired, but he's not retired yet. My new horse, True, uh, two dogs, a cat, about 800 deer that cruise around through our barn. We live in the oak woodlands of California, so it's it's very beautiful. We also have the worry of fire danger now in summers. And I grew up in a rural area and have loved horses ever since I was born. My family had horses briefly when I was little, but I was always the one begging to be around horses. And so I've managed to carry that through my life. I went to UC Davis as an undergrad to study. I had hoped to go to vet school, but I had too much fun and skied too much. And my grades were very in the middle. So I did not go to vet school. I did go back to grad school later and studied biology. So my dearest love of my heart is animals. And like you said, 12 years ago, So I've pursued some relationship and access to horses for most of my life. And since I've been married and a mom, I've had horses for most of that time. And 12 years ago, end of January, I had an accident. I had been out riding my mare, whose name is Wish, and we were doing great and everything was lovely. And then she noticed something in our meadow that was new and it really took her mind and her thought away and it was getting near uh, dusk it was becoming dark and I knew that she wasn't with me but I ignored that 
And then when she was willing to give me a bunch of speed, I thought, this is great because normally I have to really encourage her to give me some speed, which should have been my second clue. And then a rabbit ran right through her legs and she went up in the air and sideways. And in my infinite wisdom of the moment, I decided I should bail off of her. And I landed on my back and heard this giant pop. And turns out that I had a burst fracture. So the big vertebra, the L1 of my back blew up. I could actually hear it. But I think things send you into shock. And I just thought, well, I better get home. So I flipped myself over and crawled up the hill, got my horse, put her away, crawled into the house. And it turns out I should have done none of those things because I could have ended up paralyzed. But fast forward 12 years later, I can walk and I can ride. It was quite a journey when who you are gets blown up. And in my case, it was literal. And my book, I ended up writing a book called Broken Tales of a Titanium Cowgirl. And the titanium part is all the replacement parts they put in my back. But it was the journey of what do you do when you run into the wall of life. And I call it the black Sharpie line moment. You know, a black Sharpie, do you call them that? In the UK, those pens. Yeah. So you make a mark with the black Sharpie, it doesn't go anywhere. But what came to me was we all have black Sharpie lines in our life that divide before and then what comes after. And so my first book was basically my journey of what I did, what I experienced when my life got blown up and when I had to figure out how to put myself back together. Wow, that's some story. And when something like that happens, I can't imagine, and I hope I never have to, but when something like that happens, where do you start? Because there will be so many steps to overcome before you get to just being with your horses and being comfortable. What was for you the most important thing at that time that you were looking forward to? And by that, I mean, what was you wanting to help yourself with more? That's such a good question. And I listened to your podcast with Mona Illerbrin. Yes, she was lovely. With the traumatic brain injury. I have a friend right now who's sitting by her son's bedside. He's on life support in the hospital. All of us have something happen that rocks, you know, we come through life with whatever innate personality traits we have. As a scientist, I'm like, nature, nurture, what is it? A combination of those experiences that shape us, mold us, triggers, traumas, joys. You know, like I love animals. Some people are just like, whatever, I could live forever without having a dog. And I can't imagine my life without a dog. So what makes up me? What makes up Ronnie? What makes up Mona? What makes up my friend Chrissy? But when something traumatic happens, I think in my case, I use the example of like when a mirror breaks, I think we have this sense of we have to put that mirror back together, like us back together, the old us. And when it's been a significantly traumatic experience, you don't necessarily have the opportunity. And hopefully maybe at some point you realize I don't need to put myself back together just exactly the way I was. 
but maybe there's new insights, new ways. My husband and I are both super independent people. And our joke is like, if there's a zombie apocalypse, it's like, we're good. Like, call us. We've got this. But we both have relied a lot on we can do this. You know, in farming, you have to do so many things yourself. And I'm a scrappy person anyway. So that sense of independence and kind of an over-reliance on being able to physically and mentally do things. And when that's that landscape is shifted dramatically, you can get lost in it. You know, so many people do get lost in it. And in my case, it was physical, but it also broke my my mental concept of myself. And so I had to figure out who am I without with having to be vulnerable and who am I with having to feel weak when I do things and who am I with having to like go slowly when I'm used to going quickly. And it was a it was a process. And the thing that really got me through it, for me, my faith is something that I stand on. But for me, just living where we live and the small things, seeing the animals go through their cycles of life, no matter what, the good, the bad, the ugly, the birth, the death, the cold, the storms, the sun, the heat, they just keep on trucking. And there were so many small joys around me, just things that I was forced to slow down and see, like the little birds raising their family or the new fawns born or looking forward to when the daffodils bloom or the cicadas come in May, things that I was like flooring it and too busy to look at a lot of those things. Those things all added up to give me a new sense of maybe my place in things, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. It does. I was thinking as she was talking, Mona said, she, I think she said it in the interview because we chatted for about an hour afterwards and some of the stories she was telling me, but she mentioned that if somebody asked her if she could do something, she would say, well, the old Mona could, but I'm not sure about the new one. I don't know what her capabilities are. I think that was early on. I think she's still figuring that out in, in areas of her life because she says you are a different person. And I was amazed when somebody's had brain damage, that some of the things she was talking about, like the memory where she was in the shower and she thought yeah. she'd been there five minutes. Yeah. Um, and she can laugh at it now, but if that was more aware to people that haven't had a brain injury, then you can appreciate what people may be going through. And it doesn't mean that you pity them, but you have more of a, a compassion. And when you're having a conversation with them, so I learned quite a lot about through her experience. Um, you sound like you live in an idyllic, amazing, beautiful place. And when you're outside, you can't help sometimes but admire what's around you. I mean, I'm doing this in my little home. It's a little flat. I don't have a garden. So when I'm out with my horses, I spend as much time with them as possible because that's my being outside. And in summer, I don't come home. I just come home to sleep. Change your clothes. Let's change my clothes, yeah. <laughs> and I can sit for hours and I just daydream and just watch, you know, watch the birds, watch the bees, just watch an ant walking across a, a blade of grass. And if you're in that flow, it's just magical what you feel back from when, you, when you're observing something. And I suppose... After your accident, so I don't want to talk too much about your accident because that's yeah, not who me you either. are, but we'll, yeah. we'll just, the gratitude, I suppose, but also there must be some frustration because of having to work things out again. It's like the double-edged sword. 
You know, I was thinking when I was listening to your interview with Mona and my mom has vascular dementia and she went from being, my parents were farmers also, driving a tractor, working all day long. And I've realized that's the place that we are now where I have to learn to come alongside where she is as well. But I was thinking, I ended up writing, my publisher called me one day and he said, you have a new horse, Michelle, it's been a while. What do you think about writing a new book? And his name's Tom Motes and he's a very notable equestrian author. And I was like, you're nuts, Tom. And then I started thinking about it. And so my new book that just came out is called Horsemanship in Life, A True Story and True is the Horse. And it's really maybe musings about finding a different way not just in life, but I think where we are in horsemanship now. And we've spent so much time historically doing things, using horses for things. And so maybe I just fell into the rabbit hole for a while here of because I had an enforced slowdown physically, but seeing things from horses' perspectives. And I go back to Tom Dorrance, who so many people call the, the OG of of horsemanship but him saying all those years ago the horse is what describes the horse its sense of self-preservation but he said and most importantly spirit and he capitalized that and I think we've kind of glossed over that and now I think so many people are really on that path and shining a light on these are sentient beings you know we're not just and I've spent plenty of time, let's just do things on horses and make them go and do the things I want to do. But they, and Dr. Steve Peters, you know, evidence-based horsemanship and heart math that talks about, you know, what our energetic field of our heart is versus that of horses. All these things that they are offering us to teach us that really translate to our lifemanship, you know, what kind of lives we lead, how we approach other beings, and do we take the time to hear what other people have to say and how our actions or wants might impact how they feel, and that includes horses as well. So many times I say I'd much rather be the person I was physically, but I think a lot of us can say that as we get older anyway. I mean, you sometimes my friends will talk and they're like, oh, my knee hurts. And they're like, you know, this is a slippery slope. This is what old people do. They talk about their aches and pains. Oops, did I lose you there? No, no, I can hear you. Okay. Anyway, they talk about their aches and pains, but there's there's so much to learn about horses and then ourselves because they allow us a space not to be judged like we judge ourselves all the time. And I think to be better people in so many ways, if we take that opportunity. Yes, absolutely. And we do judge ourselves, even when we think we're not doing that. Funny, I was thinking I have conversations in my head with myself. <laughs> and sometimes I give myself a good talking to, but <laughs> sometimes I'm more sympathetic. Depending which half's talking to the other half at the time. When you think you've got it, they will give you something else to flip the coin. And I'm not talking about the riding side and the doing side. I'm talking about the connection side. Yeah. And it can be the tiniest, tiniest thing. So I'm just thinking about something my horse did last few days. So where we are, it's been really, really, we've had a lot of rain. And the last week it's been lovely because it's been dry. 
So the fields are starting to dry out. But when it's slippery, as with humans, when you're walking on ice, you walk stiffer, you hold yourself differently and everything aches and you move differently. And my horse has like an area where she can stand with her, with her companion, Francis, and it's a hard standing. So it's a good area to keep out of mud. But to get to the dry field, she has to go through a really boggy bit now. And she's been wanting to stay out in the field because it's dry and not come down. And I'm like, well, why don't you want to come down? You know, your tea's down here. Do you want me to walk all the way down the bottom of the field? Yeah. And I was having this conversation and I was like, well, I'll meet you halfway. So, so she came down and then I thought, why am I getting annoyed at this? Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I have to walk through that. And you can hear this little voice, almost like a little story saying, you shouldn't let the horse get the better of you. And that's not what it was saying. But you can hear people saying, why are you carrying your feed out of the field? Why are you doing all that? But then as it turns out, she'd got a tiny bit of mud fever, which is a little sore. Um and it wasn't a huge amount, it was just a little bit. But when they're flexing their feet, if it dries, it cracks and it gets sore. So I thought, well, of course she doesn't want to go through the mud. Why would she? When as soon as I sort of realized that, I was giving her a bit of a bit of attention. And I said really gently, and it was a lovely moment, I says, please don't shut me out toots. And as I say that, I can feel like in my heart. And she just lowered her head and softly looked at me. And she says, I hear you. And I was like, oh, thank you. And it was just that tiny moment means nothing to anybody else. But I felt she heard me and the mm-hmm. response was back. So that was lovely. But sometimes you get wrapped in your day-to-day stuff that you forget those little bits. And we take things personally. Mm-hmm. We have to remember that they're not doing it to be awkward. They're not doing it because they don't want to be with you or reject you. They've got their agenda. They're doing their thing. They're being a horse, you know. And sometimes you get on the same page and it's like, boom. And it can be just one little thing that's lovely. And that, to me, is communication on a big scale, although it doesn't look big. But it's the heartfelt communication. It's the acknowledgement of one being to another. And it's the words from the heart rather than the doing words. Does that make sense, Michelle? So so much sense. And I did feel it when you said that. And I have had, I'd say I probably have out of 10, maybe two moments where I'm like, yes, we're both on the, we're both right there. And the other eight where I'm like, huh? But I have had horses very clearly where it's like saying something to you that you get just clear, clear as day. And I was thinking about it this morning because I actually wrote a chapter called The Stories We Tell because we do tell stories to ourselves about like you just shared one, like, why aren't you coming here? And then as you delve down into it, you know, you saw from her perspective and her experience and where she is right now. And you you met her there and she said, thank you. My new horse, True, is young and he was kind of bobbled around. He was owned by someone who had some physical issues or health issues where they couldn't spend much time. And then a woman who's actually a friend of mine was had him at her facility and she would spend time with him, but he wasn't her horse per se. So I'm his first person in quite a while that's with him all the time. 
And he has lots of thoughts and lots of things to say. And she told me, I'm glad that he has you and I'm glad that he can say those things. And some of the times I'm like, well, that was salty. I don't know if salty is a term that you use in the same, just kind of a little, I don't know. And I'm like, why why are you giving me this? You know, and then I'm trying not to use the words like attitude or why are you feeling less than? Because then I have to stop myself and say, there's a reason for this. Horses don't engage in the dissembling or storytelling that we do. You know, there's something to it. So it's on me to learn. You know that saying, you only know what you know. Well, we have no excuse not to know more because we have access to information. A lot of it's garbage, but we have access to information and people who are doing great work all the time. You know, it's for us to learn more and fill in those gaps where our communication skills or our understanding of horses to set aside our human lens and try and learn how, like Dr. Stephen Peters does, evidence-based horsemanship and what is really going on for a horse. We have those opportunities to learn. And in doing so, I think we can. It's hard, you know, because sometimes I'm like, I just want to do blank. I don't want you to just do this, True. And he's he's like, he requires me to show up and be with the horse before me, not the horse in my dreams, not the horse in my imagination, not the horse of yesterday, but who however he is right before me. He forces me to do that. And sometimes I'm not very good at it. And sometimes I'm good at it. And like you said, it could look to other people like you're just plunking around doing nothing. But those moments when you get it, when they give it to you, you know, it's not nothing. Yeah, I was smiling because as you was talking, is it true? Yeah. Yeah, the words that just came straight into my head was sometimes he's confronted with three different versions of you. And this is what he says. There's three versions and I don't know which one to listen to because they're all contradicting each other. So in his eyes, before you present yourself to him, is be aware of the versions of you that are coming forward and try and merge them together. Now, it might seem a bit strange, but... If you could imagine, as I said, I have conversations myself, depending and the spiritual side or the knowing side talks to the human side. That's just the way I look at it. But if you can see in your mind's eye the essence of one part of you and the other and just see where they're coming from, because they're for reason and they're presenting something from their point of view. I hope this is making sense to you Michelle the way I'm describing it this is the way it's coming so I'm trusting this is the way to give it so this is what he says he's confronted with three different personalities three different people and he's not sure who to listen to now I'm relaying this to you in English human terms obviously he doesn't really think like that so that's the nearest that I can what he's giving me and there's also part of him I see to people it doesn't matter how long you've had a horse you can have had a horse for three months, six months, four years, we instantly fall in love with them. That's how it works. We want them. We love them. And we expect the same back. They may give you everything, but they might not give you that last bit because depending on their experience, they might always feel like this is not permanent or 
what if. And again, they don't think about it in that way that we do. It's just the essence of it is there, depending on what's happened to them. So if you can work on that aspects of you and integrate those feelings and thoughts the best of your ability, and he knows you're going to be doing that, then there may be a slight difference. So it'd be interesting to get some feedback to see what happens. Does that make sense? I made some note and I'll have to let it, you know, when we're not talking, just kind of. So, yeah, you said something there, Ronnie, that I had been thinking about. Like, we want to be heart centric and heart forward. And sometimes we can put a box around them. And to protect ourselves and, you know, things that we're uncertain about or situations that make us feel we have to be cautious. And I always tend to believe I'd rather feel with my heart and take what comes with it than I would just hold it back. But the point that you made about horses believing that this is the real deal like this isn't transitory this isn't conditional I've experienced that and felt that a lot with him since he's been here you know his experience before was being out in a pasture very placidly and then he came here just gangbusters and I've thought this is like his his place and he's trying to find this is his actual place and I chose him, yes, but I also understand that that doesn't mean that just because I chose him, and I actually wrote about that, I said we tend to fall in love with the externals of a horse and then be like, coming to pick you up, get in my trailer, now you're mine, now we're in love, you know, get out and we're doing this thing. And yet, that's not necessarily what they're experiencing. And so I've really tried to be cognizant of the fact that he's finding his way through this landscape with our other horses and where he fits in with that and the fact that I'm his person and he's got he has a lot of work to do with me (laughs) he says his hands full I'm just getting that when I get information I don't ask for it it just comes as Mm -hmm. I'm talking to people and sometimes it's from like a collective it's not always from the horse and what I'm getting to say to you is don't don't worry about the heart the heart will take care of itself just allow it allow it to be vulnerable allow it to be responsive because what that's doing is telling you something it's guiding you and if there is a a slight protection over it then be gentle with yourself be gentle and kind because when you do that to yourself your horse can feel that and it will have a knock-on effect. I mean, you know that. I'm not telling you things you don't know. So just feel what you need to feel. Be honest if you're wanting to achieve something and say that and say that in your mind and say it to him. But just, you know, speak from your heart. However that comes, you don't have to sugarcoat it if you don't feel that way. But speak gently from your heart and allow him to work out the feel of that, what's authentic to him. Because that's what he's doing at the minute. He's negotiating these feelings. 
that resonate with, with him too, what it means to him. But it's not as we do. He's not sat there with, you know, a cup of coffee or a, a cigarette thinking, okay, what does this mean? But his body, his essence, everything about him will be translating what's coming around in the frequencies. So don't worry too much about it, I'm trying to say. Just allow it and allow the time. Does that make sense? It it does. And you look at the horses you've known across the years and just like people, you know, what each one of them's individual personality and how they do life and how you do life together. And I just feel really blessed that he's in my life now to be such an amazing teacher because in a lot of ways I think he he embodies uh not me if I were a horse he has crazy hair I'll tell you I did comb my hair today so don't have crazy hair today but I appreciate the fact that I don't have to go searching for him you know some horses horses that have shut down or gone inside or feel they're just getting by horses we call stoic and he's he's just like telling me all this stuff you know i just need to be able to hear what it is and see what the lesson is and what i can bring to that and so it's super enjoyable and i guess it sort of was unexpected but i just really appreciate him oh makes sense yeah, and he can feel that. So I'm just going to say one more thing and then we'll go on and talk about, sure. uh, about you. But sometimes our rational head, when we pick up information from the horse and uh, the communication and the essence of what they're trying to show us or guide us with about ourselves as well as them, sometimes our rational head tries to put it into a, a frame. So it might be at times that you have to almost just allow that to side pass it because it might not fit what the rational head is trying to make that it might be just one little word one little breath and that's enough for something to change just slightly but you'll know as it happens just take a breath take a moment and just see what comes through because he's throwing communication out quite a lot actually he's seeing what bounces back that's what he's doing. He's really is is firing quite a lot. Not all the time, but he's he's wanting to learn. He's wanting to understand as much as you do, which is lovely. So shall we talk about your latest book? So tell us a little bit about that. You know, as we've been talking, it's like as you go forward in your journey in life, and for us people who are involved with horses and love horses. What does that journey look like going forward? And for me, I have found that I think it was Buck Branneman who said horses and life, it's all the same to me. But for me, horsemanship and life, it's like the the more you try and do what you and I have been talking about with horses or be available or be with what is, the more you realize that it's parallel. It's not like you do you as a human separately and then you do you in relationship with animals separately. And I say this quite often. I've learned so much more from my horses, my animals, and my kids than I have ever taught them. 
You know, that was one of the things I enjoyed most about being a mom to my two sons who are like six feet plus tall now men. But just that, that truth and the ability kids have before we get busy, like washing it out of them to just say what is and be the all of them as little humans before we're like, you have to be nice and don't say things that are rude and don't don't say the things that are obvious. You know, that was just such a, a joy and a challenge for me. And I said my job was to like keep them within the bounds of being like good citizens and not being off the hook and saying, you know, things where people were crying, but it's like just to kind of be able to go back to that, live in your true, truest sense of speaking your truth and being okay with that like kids are. I don't even know if I answered your question, Ronnie. <laughs> I'm sorry thinking I'm not <laughs> sure, but it doesn't matter because I'm just listening to what you're saying. It doesn't matter. So apart from your book, what else have you got up and coming? Uh, in Michelle's life? What are the things you've got to look forward to? Exciting. Uh, I started writing a historical fiction book. I think the pandemic messed with my math, and my math is not like my strong suit anyway, but I have to go back and do the math. I think I started writing this historical fiction book about five years ago, and I boldly call it a book because I have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And I'm like, I just need all that stuff in the middle. But it's historical from a female character's perspective who didn't get much space in history. So it came to me one day, I was watching this documentary and it kind of just came to me like, what about my story, you know, from her perspective? And so I've been trying to hear that voice and then put it onto paper. So it's been interesting. So have you started writing it again then? Have you done a little bit extra yeah I've I've picked it up and it's the historical part that you know my books aren't fiction I'd say they're essentially like my brain dumped out onto paper so I don't know what you would call that gibberish or nonsense or the periodic good thought in there but with historical you know you, you don't want to be the person who has all of your information wacky so that's been taking me some time to wade through doing the research Mm. I can remember when I was at school, I wasn't that brilliant at school. My attention span was like limited, but I used to like writing stories and I would have such imagination, but they would go on and on. And the teacher would say, you need to finish this story. So there'd be like a really long beginning, a very long middle. And then the end would be like, just very, very abrupt because I needed to finish it. I think I used to disappear into the pages and I can't tell you what the stories were about now because the enthusiasm went then, whereas at the time I I loved it because I suppose now looking back, I allowed it to flow. So the flow was, was, was me, you know, and that was doing the writing. Whereas if I was trying to do mechanical stuff, which today I, I don't, I don't like to be restricted. I like to just go off the cuff. For most things I do, I'm not good at planning, apart from this sort of thing. But anything else, I'm I'm not very good at being tied down to, to sort of structure. So writing, you, you have to be quite disciplined. First of all, I'm with you on not being tied down to structure. It is not my wheelhouse at all. Yeah, and 
people do say if you're going to write, you need to be disciplined. And then at the same time, like I said, this this woman's voice just spoke to me like I had a story too. And then I'd say about, I don't know, four months ago, this story just came to me. I actually called it La Paz, like La Paz, Mexico. And I was just like, everybody get out of my way. Like I'd be making notes on my phone. I'd find my computer. And it just, it was like, it wouldn't leave me alone. And it was so bizarre and strange, but it was awesome. So have you completed that one then? I did. It was just like, would not leave me alone. Yeah. It wouldn't leave me alone. Yeah. So it just needs to be published. Is that right? It needs to do something. I don't know. <laughs> At least it's out of my brain. But talking about the flow or things that are out there speaking to us. Yeah. When I describe communication, I made a promise to the universe and myself, you know, some people say they close off and that's it. You know, they do the communication and they close off. Or if they work in different areas, you know, they, they close down. And I say, well, to me, you're always open. You're, you're, you know, you are an antenna for information, whether it's physical or telepathically or spiritual, whatever you want to call it. And I used to say that I'd be open to anything, you know, if this message needs to get somewhere, I'm open. And that's how it works. And most of the time I can be in the car. I'm driving in the car and that's when messages come through because I'm focusing on one thing. I'm driving. So I've not got 101 things going on in my head. And it's almost like, yay, we can get in now. She's only thinking about one thing. <laughs> Let's go. And then you get the messages. But until I acknowledge it, then the rest doesn't flow. I might get a sense of something. I know who it's going to, but I get a sense of something. And then when I either type in my phone or, or now I, I leave voice recordings because it's so much quicker. Mm. And as soon as I start to speak, then the rest of the information comes through. And I describe it as like radio signals are floating around. You know, everything is floating around. There's oxygen in the air. There's electricity floating around in the air. You, you can't see it, but you know it's there. You trust it's there. And the radio signals are looking for the easiest place to land and a bit like lightning. And it will find the quickest route and the easiest to get to where it needs to go to. So I won't get a message for somebody that I am not going to be able to pass that on to. Now, that doesn't mean I have to see them and know them physically, but I might know somebody through you. So, you know, say I got a message for, for Chrissy, I could pass it on to you if I didn't know Chrissy, and she could pass that on if it was for somebody else. So it has to have a route to go to, otherwise it's no point coming to me. So it will go to the next person. And I think when inspiration and ideas and entrepreneurs, when they think of an idea, it's floating around. And if it lands and they take it and do something with it, then that's it. It's landed. But if they don't do anything with it and it's still floating around, it's almost like, well, we'll go somewhere else. So your book needs to have a place to go to because it's landed with you. I love that. I mean... <laughs> I think my husband is just like, what is going on with this woman? Because I'll just be like, don't like, don't talk to me because something will just come. If you looked at notes on my phone, I mean, you're saying the same thing. It just comes to me. And especially if I'm in the barn cleaning up, I'm like, I can just like use my microphone. And I'm like, where did that come from? But I love yeah. it. It's so fun. Yes. So in other words, Michelle, get your backside into gear and get it sorted. <laughs> 
Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I need to get my backside into that for sure. Before somebody sure. else takes that idea of whatever that is and makes it into a movie and you'll go, oh, I wrote about that. Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah. All right. Now I'm like totally motivated. <laughs> so let's get back to the horses. So you've got dogs, cats, horses, children, family, husband. And you said you've got deer. Is that right? You've got deer. Yeah. So many deer. So do you breed the deer? No, they breed them. <laughs> so they breed they them. Bre- yeah. And I actually, I think you'll love this. There are a pair of ravens that live here. I've named them Daisy and Oliver. And they meet me when I do my chores down at the barn and they want food. So I will bring them something. And I believe it's been like, here's the amazing thing. They've always been here. So either they pumped up the jam on saying to me, hey, lady food dispenser, here we are, give us something. Or I became more aware or we both came together at the same time, but they will come in the morning when I do my chores. And then they'll, if I'm not fast enough, they'll sit on the posts and or the fences and like, tell me I'm here, I'm here. And then if I'm walking the dogs or riding the horses, our property and then there's open space next to us and I'll look at them and they'll be flying overhead talking like they're on the walk with me they have mated in front of me and then they bring their children like one year they had three I called them the three amigos they were just out of control wild and they would bring them and show them how to do things last year they had just one little baby that I named Uno and they'd bring Uno but it has been so amazing to experience being a tiny little sliver of their lives. And then sometimes they all congregate with other ravens, like groups of 30 of them will just fly overhead talking to each other. And it's just been such a joy. I can see when you talk about that experience, I can just see your face totally glow. Yeah. I mean, I just love the interaction that we get from nature outside, you know, the trees and just observing and just being part of it. We like to think, you know, or the human race like to think they're the be, be all and end all and we are the the masters. We, we are not. No, we, we're not. We're barely scraping by at times. And if we were so clever, we would not be seeing externally what's going on in the world but there is so much beauty in the world and Ronnie that's everywhere yes I mean I live in the country and I feel such gratitude that I live this life and not everyone does as you and I talked about but like you said you take yourself outside and even if you live in a city I mean there's peregrine falcons in cities there are pigeons there are blackbirds it's like if we take our scope and just see what's before us those are the joys that helped me when I felt like I got blown up those are the things that helped me put the pieces back together just everywhere you look and that's one of the things I'm grateful about is yes sometimes I think I'm probably a bit weird but in in a wonder way like I still have wonder and that entertains me all day long and it's like the child, isn't it? The child within you. I mean, there's been, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I'm going to tell you anyway, but there's been times when 
I'm down the field and I've got my ear pods in and I'm dancing away. <laughs> and if anybody's looking, they'll be like, what is she on? <laughs> and I get, I get drunk and high on life sometimes. Now, I don't mean that in a, oh my goodness, should I go around with rose-tinted glasses? I don't. But I am so much more in that space than I used to be. And if I had a choice, I would rather have the rose-tinted glasses because it's it's how you feel about life. This is getting quite deep, isn't it? <laughs> so, okay. So we've got a lady called Patty. For the benefit of the people that are going to listen to this afterwards when it's a podcast, I'll read this out. Okay. Cool. Do you want to read it out, actually? Sure. Hey, Patty. <laughs> I know where cool California is. Do you feel like True is picking up on your thoughts and just trying to sort out your intentions with him? Sometimes I feel my brain is going too fast. Not me, Patty, not ever. And it's hard to just slow down and be clear with your thoughts when you're in their presence. Probably. That's my short answer. I feel like one of the blessings of my accident was realizing, like I said earlier, I'm very much in my first book, I had a chapter I wrote called Can Do. Can Do Girls were like, get out of my way. I can do this. And I think a lot of people who are involved with horses kind of have that, you know, you have a certain maybe nature or independence or whatever. But I realized when I was physically forced to be slow, how fast my thoughts were, like I could feel them rolling down the hill before me. And I was like, just stop. Yeah. Yeah. We do have busy heads. Even when we think we don't, we've got so many thoughts just floating in and out all the time and for anybody that is wanting to to understand if they can hear the horses hear their animals and this applies to anything it's not just animals that just happens to be what I'm talking about it's about intuition your own guidance talks to you if you've got a busy head you can't differentiate between what is you and what isn't and somebody said to me how do you know it's not your imagination how do you know it's not your thoughts it is your thoughts to start with because it's your voice. The communication can have a different tone and a different feel. It can have a strong strength behind it and a masculine feel, or it can have a soft feminine feel. Sometimes if I'm talking to a mare, I sometimes go, am I talking to a mare? I look underneath it because I think it, it feels masculine because I forget when they're talking. And if your head is busy, it's hard to differentiate, you know, what is what. But you get used to it because when you start to quieten down the chatter, you can't empty your head because that's impossible. The more you try, the more comes in. Yeah. You're, you're going against the flow. Whatever you're going to try and stop is coming at you all the time. Okay. So all you do is just be aware of it. And when something comes in, it has a slightly different feel. And the more you acknowledge it, the more you get to know what that is. And then quite often I get like a quiet. It's almost like I describe it as calm before the storm. The air goes still, but it's very, very quick now how that happens. So I'm aware something's coming. It's like a, another sense now. Yeah. So having a busy head is definitely something to try and work with but again you can't empty your head and have a empty head you just have to quieten it or find something else to focus on like a blade of grass or a bird or 
and let your ears just drift off somewhere. And what that does is quietens the chatter down. So I hope that's answered your question from my perspective, Patty. Mary Lamberson says, love the interviews. Do you know this hey, lady? Mary, I do. She's all the way <laughs> on the East Coast. Oh, thank you, Mary. Oh, it's nice that people are coming by it's to awesome. say hi. It's awesome. This past year, uh, another another kind of overarching theme for my book was we had the pandemic. And, you know, those times in your life where you feel you're just kind of cruising along and then everything takes like a 90 degree turn. With my first book, it was an accident. And with this, it was the pandemic and finding out that my mom had had a stroke and she had now vascular dementia. And animal after animal after animal that I had that were like my cornerstones, my north, south, east and west died like one would die. And I mean, they were all elderly, but it was just gut wrenching. And I realized that it had just flattened me out. And I didn't really realize how much grief was sitting on me until I met my Rufus. I was having a visit with my best friend and she's like, you're you're not feeling okay. And I just started bawling. And I was like, oh, that grief was just really residing in me. They were wonderful animals and in so many ways guides. And one of them was my horse named Simba, who had been a rescue horse. And we took him on and he was just such a wise guy. And he's the horse when I was getting, I always wanted to ride again after my accident. And he had been retired, but he clear as day said to me, ride me. And when I first threw my leg over the saddle, I could feel like parts of myself coming back together. And I was like, this is amazing. And so I'm like, I want to do this again tomorrow. And so he said, ride me clear as day, but a little less enthusiastically. And then the third day I was like, this is amazing. This is so fabulous. I just figured you would appreciate this. And the third day he said to me, we're done. Like, I'm retired. Mm. You're back in the saddle. You're good. And now I'm done. But I'll never forget that. It was just the most amazing. It's like I maybe had rescued him in a way and he had rescued me. And he was just amazing. Oh, wow. What a gift. What a gift to give. Yeah. Yeah, I love stories like that. I'm just thinking of a lady. She was an English lady. Her name was Julie Dicker. And she's no longer here physically. But she had a book. When I first started going out practicing doing the communication, I wasn't sure about the way I was picking up because it was very much about chit-chat. It was as a human chit-chat sort Mm -hmm. of. And I was thinking, I don't know if this is my imagination. And it, it didn't really matter, but I thought, you know, I, d- I don't know. And I happened to be looking at something on Amazon. And this book popped up and it was a book, What Horses Say, something like that. And it was this black paperback with a white horse's head. And it was written by Julie Dicker and another lady. So Julie Dicker was the animal communicator, but a friend of hers wrote the book with her. And the book was very much about the conversation from the human and then the conversation from the horse. And some of the stories were funny 
to the point of, you know, when they say horses are not lame on purpose, oh, yes, they can be. <laughs> if they don't want to do something, they can be. And that definitely showed me. But there was such sad stories about her being in a an auction and she was just mm. looking at horses. And this horse grabbed her. She walked past and she could feel that, you know, this is my last chance. Please help me, help me. And she looked at the horse and she wasn't intended to buy. And she was asking about the horse. Anyway, she bought this horse and the poor thing just literally got on the trailer and it'd been doped up. And when she got the horse home, the horse had, I think it, it had a bit of a bend, a stoop to the side. And what had happened was this horse had had a head collar on and mm. tied to its tail to teach it a lesson and left for days in this bent position it also had a pitchfork through its back at some point and this horse was saying I don't want to go on but I, I want to live a different life so she took this animal on but yeah some of these stories I thought where are we to do that to another being sorry am I upset I can feel that too no so sad um, it is sad but she she helped this horse and the horse recognized that she was going to be the one to help her if she would just listen. And sometimes they don't always want to be rescued. They don't always want to be put right. All they want to do is to be heard and to be acknowledged. And as I'm saying these words, I can just feel the energy behind it because animals, as my belief is when you go, it's just your clothes that go. The essence of the being is always there. And it's about being acknowledged as an equal, an equal life and a worthy life. And that's all they want at the end of the day. They don't have to be perfect. They just want to be acknowledged as we do. And when we don't get acknowledged, that's when we get problems. I felt that like hugely in my in my solar plexus, my heart, when you said that. And I think I know that our time is up. And I think it's a perfect circle there, Ronnie, that my husband, when I wrote my first book, he's like, so what do you want out of this? And I said, that's a really good question because never going to be like a New York Times bestseller. It's a little kind of a niche thing. But I said, I want my sharing to help encourage one person because we've all run into the wall of some sort, but that you're not alone and that it helped one horse get a better deal. And if my walking through my horsemanship life journey of trying to learn more and see more and hear more does that, it's toward what you just said. It's like we've, we're, I don't want to use the word guilty. We've, we sit very heavy on the world sometimes. You know, we use things, we abuse things. We don't hear things. We don't hear people. We just burn through things really fast. So that my hope of anything that I share, why I'm on social media, that we learn more, that we can see that they're just asking the same thing we are. Yeah, that was beautifully said. And I'm sure, I'm not sure, I know that you've got lots to offer 
and lots to contribute from your experience. And they don't expect us to be perfect and they don't want us to feel bad. We get enlightenment from being around horses. And there's lots of people, and I'm a big fan of Warwick Shiller, and Warwick will say, you know, yeah. that it's things like this chatting that changes you as a person. But horses open the doorway, animals open the doorway because we're not good with other humans, even when we like to think we are. There's always a tiny bit that hide, even from ourselves. And this is me too. You know, this is me. I'm being me here, but there'll always be an aspect of me that maybe I'm, I'm scared of showing. And as soon as I say those words, I can feel vibration in my heart, like, you know, cracking. Come on, come on, don't be scared. And you don't have to know what it is sometimes. It's not rational. It's not always logical. But that's the problem. Sometimes we always think in a logical head. And actually, if we just work with the feel of what we have, be true to ourselves, that's all that anybody would ask at the end of the day. So... Speaking of Warwick Schiller, I was in <laughs> San Antonio, as was Jane, who said hello, for the summit that they put on in November. And there's been so much follow-up after that of people having these experiences of feeling things opening that have very little to do with horses. But he's, you know, one of the world's most notable horsemen. But the fact that he's created this atmosphere and landscape where people are having these realizations and openings and moments has been really, really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love his podcast. I like a lot of podcasts, but he's, you know, he's not my guru. So I don't look at him on a pedestal. I see him as a human being and, you know, with everything that comes with that. But I admire and love what he does and his rawness and authentic yeah. self. He's not afraid to show that. Now, again, there may be a part of that that he hides, as we all do, but the majority of what you see feels real. And I love that. And I like how, how he gets his guests to, to show that too. But before we go, because I feel like yes. I've been chatting more than you have. And no, this is no, about no, you. it's great. No, it's not about me. It's about this. <laughs> So I'd love to have you back, Michelle, when you get that, that novel published. Oh, no pressure there, Ronnie. Thank you. Of course there's pressure. <laughs> but there's no time pressure, so it's in your own time. If you could give a piece of information to anybody that's been through what you've been through, or not, it doesn't matter, what would you like to say to somebody that, that's wanting to stretch themselves in their personal life as well as with the horses, maybe? I think there is been so much talk about you know vulnerability is your greatest strength in this and that there are corners of my life like we don't share everything in like that corner where all those books are I wish like no one was seen this <laughs> is seen that all the books I haven't read yet I don't know I'd rather be I'd rather say I'd rather feel I'd rather be authentic I'd rather try I'd rather screw up than not do so. You know, I would like when I blurted everything out in a book, it had started because my mom told me you should journal to work your way through this. And I'm like, I'm not journaling because I need a place to write my true thoughts of this process where 
what if I die? And then people read it and they think, well, she's a crappy person because she just barfed all the stuff here. So instead, I just wrote it all in a book, you know, and like, oh, world, read it. But, you know, there are people out there who who help shine the light when you can't do it. You know, find your people. Don't be afraid to say, hey, and that's what I really enjoy about the little space on social media of people feeling like yesterday we were talking about cereal, you know, just connecting and being able to be heard and feeling like you're not alone. And this is a bumpy, a bumpy ride, but it's also a beautiful journey. And find people, surround yourself with people that are seeking and searching and supporting you and lifting you up and try to, you know, there's so much garbage out there that we just get spewed at us. Try and find somebody who will walk alongside you and say like, yeah, let's just keep doing this. It might not be pretty. It might be ugly sometimes. And we might not look perfect, but we'd much rather be real, if that makes any sense. Yes, it did. It made total sense to me. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it's about being your authentic self and taking a leap of faith sometimes. And by that, it can be the smallest thing. It's easy to get drawn into a story. I mean, we all have stories, but we don't have to live them every day, the same story. We can make new ones. And that goes across the world and the universe and the planet. We can get drawn into the story that's going on, or we can decide to actually invest in a new one. So on that note, again, that was was quite heavy. Tara says hi. Thank you very much, Tara. (laughs) Uh, So would you like to say goodbye to everybody, Michelle? For sure. I appreciate you so much. I mean, we had never met or talked before and your openness to going with what was and I enjoyed it immensely and I feel like I've learned a lot and I have a lot of things to think about and I appreciated everyone who popped in and said hello from all over the place that was super super fun thank you for this Ronnie and thank you everyone it's been a real pleasure so you are more than welcome wow what a lovely lovely lady I really enjoyed that conversation I wasn't sure where we was going to go with it. And to be honest, I never do anyway. So it might have been a little bit deep in areas, but I'm a great believer in whatever conversation comes out. Somebody, even if it's one person that resonates with one little bit of that and helps them, then that's, that's our job done. Yeah, lovely lady. And I look forward to hearing from her again and a new novel. That's exciting. Thank you, everybody that stopped on by. Really appreciate it. Once again, my guests give their time freely, as I do, because I love it and I like to interact with people. And Michelle's right. It's amazing. You know, the the internet can introduce you to people that you may not necessarily meet physically, but it doesn't mean to say that you can't have an interaction that's beneficial on lots of different levels. So, I hope the weather is kind to you wherever you are in the world. Thank you for listening and I shall speak to you soon. Take care and bye for now. You've been listening to Ronnie King at Equine Voices. Thank you for listening and speak to you soon.